Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM. Watch your Bibles, open up your ears, open up your hearts. This next brother is going to preach to us this morning, give us a word. I know him. He's a man of God. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a hardworking man. He was here with us last summer, and we was and we was teaching us about the whole couples. And you should have came out for it. Him and his wife, they did a brilliant job. And so I'd like to know. I don't want to hold him up, hold up time, because I know he wants to get up here. He's very. I know he's excited about teaching this this next message. He's been preparing for it, and I just want y'all to. Open up your arms, clap your hands, and let's welcome Minister Kevin Howe. Amen. Praise God. How's everyone doing today? Doing good, doing good. Um, send greetings from uh, PD. He said that he is praying for you guys and he will be here next week. And uh, so it's always good when our pastor's family can get away and be able to uh, take a break and uh, recharge, right? So always be praying for him and Lady Courtney. I believe Mom Jackie is with them too. So praise God for that. And it's always an honor to just be able to stand in the pulpit, um, you know, and just be trusted with that. So I definitely uh, appreciate uh, PD uh, for uh, just allowing me the opportunity. So today we're going to... um, we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah. And actually, we're going to, um, the next couple of weeks, we're going to do a series uh, on this. Some uh, of the other ministers are going to be sharing um, on this book. And Jonah is, um, it's a very short book. It's about four chapters, but there's a lot packed in those four chapters. And um, we're just going to take a look at a couple. We're going to look at the uh, first two chapters today. Um, and just go for go through it verse by verse, and, um, and but I think there's a lot in there, and and it's it's some things that I think you guys can take away uh, from it to apply to your lives. Amen. So, anytime we're studying the Word, uh, we're looking through Scripture. It's important. There's a couple things to to keep in mind, just even in your personal studies. Anytime you approach Scripture, you have to approach it within the context of that Scripture. Um, it's in the context of the that passage in the sense in that in the entire book it's in the context of um the biblical narrative to making sure that what you're reading and how you're interpreting it um is within the whole narrative of the bible and what god is trying to explain um and also in the historical context because um if we look back especially the old testament um you know it's it's been said that the bible was written um, was not written to, was not written to us, but it was written for us. And so, what that means is, in the Book of Jonah, it wasn't written. It wasn't written to people coming here in Perth Amboy in 2023. It was written to the the Jews um, of that time. And so, we have to understand um, the the scripture, the words, the letter, whether it's a letter, whether it's a prophecy, within the historical context um, of how the people would understand it. And then we see how it's applied to our lives. Amen. Amen. Because we can take scripture, you know, one of like, this is not an Old Testament scripture, but like, um, as far as scripture out of context, like one of the, one of my pet peeves scriptures people use, um, and sorry, my 
you guys might get offended by this, is uh, we could do all, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean that you can go and be the quarterback of the New York Giants. That's not what that scripture means. And, and we kind of like try to apply that to everything. But within the context, Paul was talking about how he's learned how to abound and how to abase. He's learned how to be content in all circumstances. So when he's talking about I could do all things through Christ, it means what other circumstances I'm going through, I can endure. All right. So that's not about you just going out and achieving things. Doesn't mean you can't achieve great things through Christ. But if we're using that as your scripture, that's 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 not accurate. But anyway, we'll move on. Sorry, I offended you on that. <laughs> um, so let's go back to Jonah. All right. Um, so let's get a little background on Jonah. Um, like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about the background, the historical context and theme. And then we're going to get into um, reading uh, the first couple chapters in it and, and just breaking it down verse by verse. Amen. So Jonah was considered a minor prophet. All right. So in the Old Testament, you had major prophets and minor prophets. And when we say minor, um, it doesn't mean that he was less. Am I standing? All right. And a little feedback. Um, it doesn't mean that he was less in significance. It doesn't mean it's less in importance. It just means that the book is smaller, basically, in, in a sense. Right. So it's uh, like I said, there's only four chapters. It's not like Isaiah, which is like 50, 60 some odd chapters. Uh, so he was a minor prophet. He prophesied during the reign of King Jeroboam uh, II, um, and he's referenced in uh, 2 Kings 14.25. So there's only two references to Jonah, this book, and also in 2 Kings 14, where it talks about when he was prophesying. Jonah's name means dove. Okay, And so we know, especially in the Old Testament, um, people's names had certain meaning to it. It wasn't just some random, oh, just, he looks like this, so let's name him this. There, there was a certain meaning. A lot, a lot of times it was prophetic. And so Jonah's name means dove, which is interesting because in the, um, in the, in the Bible, a lot of times doves represent messengers. They represent peace. And so Jonah was uh, a prophet. So a prophet is what? A messenger of God to guide his people. So that's interesting. Um, and Jonah was, he was a prophet. He was a man of God. He was set apart. You know, God just didn't come bring his word and have just any old person. It was people who were sanctified, uh, who were called to be prophets. So Jonah uh, was a prophet in the 8th century B.C. This is a little bit of the historical context. And during that time, um, and, and you'll see, and if some of you guys are familiar with the book of Jonah, he was called to uh, prophesy to Nineveh, which was a city, great city um, considered the capital of Assyria. And so the Assyrians at that time were, um, some, were the feared and despised enemies of the Israelites. So they had beef, right? So these were people that they hated. and so. Um, even God calling Jonah to go prophesy to those people was kind of challenging for Jonah to understand it. Even the people who were reading this at the time would be challenged to understand because usually prophets were sent to Israel to warn them, to guide them. So why would they be going? Why would he send a prophet to warn and to guide an enemy nation? So this is hard for Jonah to receive. This was hard for um, the Israelites, people reading this to receive, because one, it's like, they don't want to warn the, the, the Assyrians. They want to destroy them. Like, I'm sure all the Israel's prayers was like, destroy these people on our behalf, because that's how they saw they were the enemies. And so what they were taught, what they understood was, hey, we are God's chosen people and all these enemies around us, God is going to destroy on our behalf or we're going to conquer their land. So, why, so, so this, this concept of even sending a message to them um, is, is kind of foreign to them. 
it's a new concept. And, and so that's an important theme that um, you, you got to keep in mind throughout uh, the book of Jonah. And one of the key themes of the book of Jonah is the grace and mercy of God to all people. The grace and mercy of God to all people, not just to a select few, but to all people. And like I said, this was a new concept in a sense for the people reading this and for Jonah himself, because in a way they wanted to limit the grace of God. They wanted to limit God's grace and mercy just to them, to their collection of people. And so in many ways as a church, not necessarily us kingdom living, but the church in general, we might even struggle with that today, limiting the grace of God just to us, right? There's certain people, there's certain um, people groups that we might not feel deserve the grace of God. Hmm. Amen. So the purpose uh, of this book is for, um, for his people to understand his heart. So uh, a theme throughout description and a theme throughout um, when we read the Bible, it's one thing God is trying to convey to us is he wants us to understand um, his, his character. He wants us to understand his ways, his ways of doing things, and he wants us to understand his heart. So the title of my message today is Discovering the Heart of God. Amen. Amen. All right. So turn with me to Jonah 1. When you're there, you can say amen. amen. All right. So we're just going to read <clears throat> right now. We're going to read through um, the whole first chapter, and then I'm going to we're going to go verse by verse and, um, and see what God uh, is saying to us. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Imitai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, because their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and boarded it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. However, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and they hurled cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the stern of the ship and had laid down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call upon your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to, to his mate, come, let's cast lots that we may find out on whose account this catastrophe has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this catastrophe struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you from? Who's your mama? Who's your daddy? He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely afraid and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what would we do that the sea will become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. 
because I know on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not because the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us for you, Lord, have done as you please. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. Then the Lord became extremely afraid, excuse me, and then the men became extremely afraid of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord designated a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. All right. So a, a lot of the, this is just a powerful story, a lot packed in that uh, first chapter. And obviously, most people know Jonah as the guy who got swallowed by the fish. But that's just like a tiny element <laughs> of, of the message and what God wants to get across. And like I said, the theme of this book is God's grace and mercy to all people. So keep that in mind uh, as we go through this. So we're going to take a look verse by verse and, uh, and break this down. So let's start with verse one. So the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Okay, so right now the, Lord of the, the word of the Lord is being spoken. Okay, and so Jonah is a prophet. This isn't the first time he heard from God, all right? He had been prophesying for God. So we know that, and Jonah knows from experience and knowing that when the word of the Lord comes, this isn't just a conversation. This isn't a talk. This is a command. So what's going forth now is a command from God and what he needs him to do and his office as a prophet, all right? So verse two, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So when we look at cry out, or in other scriptures say uh, call out, that means to proclaim, okay, to proclaim this word of the Lord to them. And in this way, it's going to be a rebuke, okay? How do we know that? Because he said their wickedness has risen up um, to me. And that's powerful because when we look at um, other examples of scripture, when that same language is used, that like something uh, ascends to the Lord, usually it has to do with a sacrifice or an offering, right? And it's it's usually something positive. You know, God will say uh, that sacrifice is like a, a, a sweet smelling um, incense to Him. Even when we look at in the old in the New Testament um, with uh, Cornelius, who was a, a Roman soldier who was um, praying to God. He was a, he was a convert to the Jews and he was um, giving offerings to, um, to the, for the temple and he helped build a, um, some things there for them. And God told him, he said, your, your prayers and your alms have come up to me, right? So there, there's something that um, when we worship God and, and, and we pray to God, that that comes up before him. But we also see the opposite, that wickedness and disobedience and rebellion also come up before him and notice him and, and note that he notices it and that he, he has to address it. He has to address this wickedness, all right? So let's go to verse three. What's the first word about verse three? But, okay, and I said that what God said when that word of the Lord comes, that's a command. So when there's a command, but should never be the next word. <laughs> You're in trouble right now when but is your next word after God said something, all right? So that means there's gonna be an opposite reaction from Jonah, all right? Okay, that's never a good thing. So we see it says, I got up, Jonah got up, fleed from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, went down to Joppa, boarded a ship to get away from the presence of the Lord. So two times that phrase is mentioned, from the presence of the Lord. And actually, as we read earlier, three times, three times in this, this chapter, from the presence of the Lord is mentioned. And so anytime we see a, a word or a phrase repeated multiple times in scriptures, it's something to pay attention to. 
It, it means that's one of the core themes and something that God is trying to get across to us. So what does it mean? Um, well, well, first of all, if we think about it, right, um, and, and when I read the scripture, I just try to look at things like logically, and then I ask God questions. So, so in one way, I'm thinking, and, and I'll explain this. So he, had, he was in Israel, and he said, get up and go to Nineveh. Nineveh was 500 miles away, okay? So if he just wanted to disobey, he could have just sat there. He didn't have to go running, right? If you, if you tell your kid to go to bed, and they don't want to go to bed. They don't go running out the house. They just stay there playing. They're not listening to you. If they want to disobey, they don't have to move, right? But Jonah ran. And this is why, because when the word of the Lord came, the presence of the Lord came. And he couldn't stay in the presence of the Lord in disobedience. He couldn't stay in the presence of the Lord in rebellion, okay? So why? Because the presence, the word presence in, in, in the Old Testament, it means face. It means the face of the Lord is there, right? And so it, it denotes intimacy. It's a place of intimacy when you're in the, in the presence of the Lord, face to face. And we know in scripture that two cannot walk together except they be agreed. And so if Jonah is not in agreement with God, he got to go. He can't stay there face to face. So let's look, um, turn with me quick. I'm just going to go over a couple quick scriptures and to talk about to see examples of what it means to be in the presence of the Lord in the face of God. And, and one of the greatest examples of this um, is Moses, right? So um, you don't have to turn there, <clears throat> but I'm just going to go to a couple. If you're writing down, you can write these down. I'm just going to go to them real quick. Exodus 33, 11. And it says, so the Lord used to speak to, to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. He spoke to him face to face. It's a friendship. It's intimacy. It's a relationship there. That's what the presence of the Lord uh, means. Deuteronomy 34.10. Again, talking about Moses, it said, since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And then Numbers, Numbers 12.8. It says, when I, this is God speaking, when with, me, with him, I spoke mouth to mouth, that is openly and not using mysterious language. So that's how he spoke to, to Moses. He had that intimacy, that face to face relationship, the presence of the Lord. That's what um, again, that's what it means. So in essence, what Jonah was doing, he was fleeing intimacy with God at that time. He was fleeing a relationship with God at that time. And so I, I, I kind of try to think about us and what that means. Now, so for us, a lot of times we may not physically run from God, but there's many ways, even subtle ways that we are fleeing the presence of God when we let distractions get in our way of spending time with God, when we put, um, when we neglect our time with God, when we're apathetic to our time with God, right? Are we valuing more time um, in entertainment? Are we spending too much time at work and then putting other things above God? Like even good things can get in the way of the greatest thing of spending time with God, right? Are we prioritizing that time with God? And anytime that we're not, in many ways, we're doing what Jonah did, fleeing from his presence, fleeing from that place of intimacy that he wants with us. All right. You guys with me? All right. So again, from the presence of the Lord, I said that was mentioned three times <clears throat> right here in this chapter, but that same phrase is mentioned twice earlier in the New Testament. Uh, both times they're in Genesis. So if you can turn with me to Genesis 3, 
Genesis 3, verse 8. And so we know <clears throat> this is um, this is talking about Adam and Eve. And we know Adam and Eve had intimacy with God, right? They were first created. There was no sin. There was no rebellion. It was just intimacy, perfection in the Garden of Eden, them communing with him daily until disobedience, until sin entered the picture, right? And so this is, this is after it. This is after the fall. In verse, we're going to pick it up in verse 8. It said, Now they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and a man and his wife hid themselves, what does it say? From the presence of the Lord. From intimacy with God. That sin got in the way of their intimacy with God. Disobedience got in the way of their intimacy with God, and it calls them into hiding. Hmm, just like Jonah, right? Running away. Let's go over one chapter to verse, uh, excuse me, chapter four. I'm going to pick it up in uh, verse 14. So this is about Cain. And so Cain, uh, Cain and Abel were the first offspring. They were the offspring of, of uh, Adam and Eve. They were the first naturally born humans <laughs> on the earth. Only They were created and they were born. And um, just the backstory, um, Abel gave an offering that was acceptable to God. Uh, Cain gave one that was not acceptable. He rejected it. Cain got upset, jealous of his brother, killed him, buried in the sand. God was like, where's your brother? I don't know. Just... Cover it up, right? And so we know that, um, so he was rejected and um, had a kind of banished. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 14. Um, and this is, this is Cain talking to God. He said, behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and I will be hidden from your face. Hidden from what? Your presence. I'll be a wanderer and a drifter on earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken upon him seven times as much. And the Lord placed uh, a mark on Cain, so no one finding him would kill him. Then Cain left the presence of the Lord. Again, so we see a couple times again that, that, that separation, that sin has separated them from the presence of the Lord, separating them from intimacy with the Lord. So we see a couple of examples of that, but let's see the opposite. Let's see um, um, what it means to be in the presence of the Lord. And again, one of the best people to, to, to see that is from Moses. Uh, go back to Exodus 33, verse 13. <clears throat> we are just getting started. We are on verse three. <laughs> there's a lot to cover, but I told you there's a lot to uh, unpack in here. Uh, say amen when you're there. Amen. All right. So what did I say? Verse 13, right? Okay, so now then, if I have, uh, this is powerful. Now then, if I have found favor in your sight in any way, please let me know your ways so that I may know you in order that I may find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence, this is God speaking, shall go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up there. For how can it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I, your people, is it not you're going with us so that we, I and your people may be distinguished from all other people who are on the face of the earth. Wow. Powerful. So one, we see that Jonah is just fleeing, getting as far away from God's presence as possible. Moses is saying, I'm not going anywhere without your presence. He has that intimacy with God. 
And a powerful thing, he says, this is a powerful, this is a powerful point. He says, how will people know who we are? The thing that distinguishes us as your people is your presence. Amen. So even with us now, in, in, as new covenant people, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, that is what distinguishes Amen. us. Yeah. That intimacy with God, his presence in us, the time that we spend in his presence. So how do people know we're believers? They know because of his presence with us and that emanates from us and that radiates from us that we spent time with God. And now it's interesting that Jonah, Jonah knows this. And so Jonah doesn't want to obey God because he doesn't feel that the the Syrians, right, are worthy of the grace of God. Because what? They're not like them. They're not like the Jews. What distinguishes the Jews? The presence of God. So the very thing that distinguishes him from the Syrians, he's departing. He's fleeing from. He's running away from the very thing that makes that he believes makes him better than them. You're talking about biting the hand that feeds you, right? Come on. All right, let me go. It's going back to Jonah. Picking it up, we're still in verse three. So it says that he flees, that he was going to flee to Tarshish. Okay, so I already said that Nineveh, from where Jonah was, was 500 miles. It was 500 miles northeast. Okay, Tarshish was 200, excuse me, 2,000 miles west. <laughs> you talk about, I'm going to the very opposite end. 2,000 miles. That's crazy. He's trying to get away. And, and here's the thing. This is the extent of this, uh, rebe- this rebellion, okay? Okay, this isn't modern day. He wasn't getting on a plane. You're not just getting on a car, okay? To get to Tarshish, it took a year. <laughs> it took a full year to get to Tarshish. All right. And he paid his fare. This isn't a New Jersey transit fare. This isn't five, six dollars. This isn't a subway fare. You got to spend a year on a boat. You need food. How much did he pay? So there's some Jewish scholars that believe that Jonah was um, was wealthy and that he sold everything he had. He sold his home. He sold all his possessions just to pay to get on this trip. So he was totally uprooted. It wasn't just like I'm going away for a minute. He was uprooting his entire life changing his entire life to get away from the presence of God and to flee this command. Wow. You sold out running away from God. Wow. All right, let's pick up verse four. However, the Lord hurled a great sea, excuse me, a great wind on the sea and a great storm came and, and we see the ship broke up. The sailors became afraid. Every man cried out to his God and hurled cargo over the ship to lighten it. Um, you know, uh, and then, uh, but Jonah was asleep below, uh, the, was sound asleep in the bottom of the ship. The, ha- the captain had to come wake him up and he, and he said, get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us and we will not perish. And each man's mate said to himself, come, let's cast lots, find out who, how this constructs this, uh, excuse me, on whose account this catastrophe has struck us. And of course, the, the lot found, uh, fell on uh, Jonah. And so the interesting thing here is one, there's a couple points. One, uh, let's, let's look at the sailors here. Okay, so one, this was a serious storm because one, the sailors, they were used to storms. This was their livelihood. They lived on the sea. So if they're panicking, if they're throwing cargo off the ship, if they're calling out to their gods, right, this is a serious storm. This is like, all right, we're all about to die, right? 
And we also know that these weren't, you know, these people weren't Jews. They weren't redeemed people. These were, were heathens, right? They were calling out to whoever their false gods are, whatever uh, their gods were at this time. But the interesting thing is they knew to pray. They weren't paying to the right God, but they knew to pray. And we look throughout this whole episode. Jonah doesn't pray once. You look at this whole chapter. God spoke to him. He's running all this stuff. He has yet. He has yet to pray. Even when they told him, pray to your God, he didn't pray. So in a way, Jonah is indifferent. You could also say that his heart has become hardened. It's a dangerous place to be. Dangerous place to be. Let's go to Matthew 13. Dangerous place to be when you're fleeing from the presence of God. The farther you get away, your heart starts to become hardened. Matthew 13, 14 and 15. This is Jesus, and he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. It says, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, they shall keep on listening, but they shall not understand. And you shall keep on looking, but shall not perceive. For the heart of of this people has become dull, dull. The heart of this people has become dull or hardened. With their ears, they scarcely hear and have closed their eyes. And otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return. And I would heal them. See, all Jonah has to do at this point is repent. He doesn't have to go through this ordeal. He could just talk to God, but he's refusing to do that. His heart is becoming hardened um, in this, in this ordeal. All right, let's go back. And pick up uh, verse 9. So there's, there's a lot going on here. The car, it's, it's a crazy scene on the deck of the ship. People are crying. People are praying, throwing stuff off. It's, it's, it's a lot of things going on. And so obviously they, they find out, okay, the lot falls on Jonah. And then pick it up in verse 9. It says, and so they say, okay, he's going to reveal who he is. And he says, so they said to him, you know, he said, I'm sorry. So he says to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear God. Wait a sec. Wait a sec. You fear God? <laughs> you fear God? None of your actions look like you fear God to me, right? Okay. When you fear God, you obey him. When you fear God, you don't run away from him. You run to him. You may have feared God in the past, but in this time, this moment, you're not fearing God, Jonah. Hmm. Because look, there's a difference between fearing God and being afraid of God. I'm going to say that again. There's a difference between fearing God and being afraid of God. Okay. And so what do I mean? Let's go back to Exodus. There's a lot of connections here in Exodus. See, the fear of God drives us closer to God. And when we talk about the fear of God, what we're talking about is a reverence, a loving, reverential fear for God, right? Not being afraid of God but a reverential fear from God that causes us to obey, to obey and, and go closer to his presence. So Exodus 20, verse 18. And so this is as, um, you know, God, uh, Moses is getting like the commandments from God on the mountain. And we've all seen the Charlton Heston movie. So it's crazy. And, and, and all this stuff is going on. And so the people of Israel are watching this from a distance. All right. And it says, all the people were watching and hearing the thunder, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking, and the people saw and they trembled and stood at a distance. 
And they said, they said to Moses, speak to us yourself. We will listen, but do not have God speak to us. We don't want any parts of that for we will die. However, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you in order that the, that the fear of him may remain in you. So you will not sin. So the people of Israel are seeing this, are seeing just like all this crazy stuff. They're like, we don't want any parts of that. We don't want his presence. Moses, you speak to us. We don't want to talk to God. You be his mouthpiece for us. But, and, and so that it might seem like that was like, okay, they were, they had a fear of God that they were afraid of God. They didn't have a fear of God. Because Moses was telling him, this was all fear that you, this is so you would fear him, that you might not sin. You would see how great he is, honor him, respect him. But they didn't want any parts of his presence. Not that level that Moses had, because they were afraid. And being afraid of God doesn't keep you away from sin. How do I know? Because these jokers built a a golden calf like right after this and started worshiping. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It did nothing to them. They didn't care. They were murmuring throughout the wilderness. He, they would get food in the morning. Oh, we're tired of this manna. We get food in the morning. We're tired of this quest. All of it was just disobedience. No fear of God. But they are afraid to go in his presence. There's a difference. There's a difference. Fear drives us to God, not away from him. All right, back to Jonah. I'm going to pick it up in uh, verse 10. I can find it. Got away from Jonah. All right. So verse 10. So then the men became extremely afraid uh, when, when, uh, when Jonah said that to him. And how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Again, that's the third time it's mentioned because he had told them. So they said to him, what, what should we do so that the sea will be calm for us? And the sea was becoming because the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and the sea will be calm. Okay, now here's the other thing. Again, I'm reading this with some common sense. And I'm thinking, your legs don't work, Jonah. Your arms don't work. Why does someone have to throw? You can't jump overboard? Why does someone have to throw you overboard if you know that's going to calm the storm? Why do they have to pick you up and throw you? Just jump, right? So why is he doing this? So the, the, the point is that it just further um, reiterates how he was immovable in his resolve, right? How he had several opportunities to repent and he wasn't doing anything. He just wouldn't change regardless of what was happening. That so much that he had to have people throw him off the ship. And that's a key theme, this, this, this forcefulness, right? Of making, um, being done against his will. That's a theme throughout this chapter. If we look at um, just throughout those different words that are used are more forceful and aggressive, it said that God hurled the storm on the sea. It didn't say the sea ju- the, the, that a storm arose. God hurled the storm on the sea. Very forceful, very aggressive, right? Um, the captain had to wake him up. He didn't wake up. He had to be forcefully woken up, right? Also, when it was, he never volunteered the information to, of, of, of who he was. They interrogated him. They asked him like five back-to-back questions. They interrogated him. So he, they had to force these answers out of him. And then finally, he had to be forcefully thrown overboard. Hmm. And so what are the lessons? The lesson is that when your heart becomes hardened and you're afraid of God, you're unwilling to change no matter what, no matter any type of effort he was not putting forth. He was unwilling to change. If we think about, um, you know, another example of a hardened heart, Pharaoh, right? And all the plagues, like all the crazy stuff that was happening in Egypt, right? And what he said, I'm not letting anybody go. I don't care. He said, frogs, locusts. 
turn the water into blood, all that stuff. His heart was so hard, he was immovable to change. And that's the place that Jonah was in. That's what God's trying to get across. But the other point, too, is this, that even when we're unwilling, God's will is still going to get done, no matter what. His will is still going to get done because he, God allows us to participate in his will and his purpose. He allows us to, to, uh, to serve him and to participate in his work, right? We are stewards of that, right? But he doesn't have to use us because if we, don't, if we rebel and we don't follow his calling, he'll raise somebody else up, right? There was, kings, there was King Saul. Saul disobeyed, so he rose, he rose David up. He's always going to have somebody to raise up. He's going to get his will done one way or the other. All right? Amen. So verse 13 and 14, uh, what I want to do is just kind of, um, let's look at, I, I want to contrast the sailors and their attitude versus Jonah. So Jonah had just told him, okay, look, throw me, um, go ahead, it's, it's going to be, throw me off and it will be, the sea will be calm. But then they, they rode desperately even more to return to the land, but they could not because it was coming stormier. And so what did they do? They cried on that. Now, before they had called out to their gods. Now they're calling out to the true God, to Jonah's God, right? In uh, verse 14, they cried out to the Lord and, and said, earnestly, earnestly prayed, oh Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us for you, Lord, have done as you please. So the sailors the, in the first place that not being willing to throw Jonah overboard, um, it showed that they had compassion. You know, they, they had empathy, you know, like they said, okay, this might save our lives, but you know, this isn't right. We can't just throw, uh, throw him overboard. But in the, but here's the contrast with Jonah. Jonah that whole time knew that this ship is going down. Like there's no way out. And like, like he's just sitting there quiet. He knows like, yep, this is me. God's going to kill me. This thing is going down. And he didn't care who went down with him. He's just sitting there. If they didn't cast lots, we're just like, oh, man, we just all going to die. He didn't care. <laughs> he had no concern for their lives. He was like, if I'm going down, we all going down. <laughs> a, a, another difference is that the sailors prayed and Jonah never prayed. The sailors prayed to a God they didn't know for the first time being introduced to the, to the true God, Jehovah. Right. And uh, and Jonah never prayed. And we know in Psalm, for Psalm 45, 145, 18, 19 says that the Lord is near to all, all who call upon him in truth. So these people didn't know him. But if you call upon the Lord in truth, God is, God is near to them. Right? See, Jonah said, told them that he feared God. He told them. He said that in his words. They showed that they fear God. They showed that they fear God. So verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men became extremely afraid of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord designated a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. And so the, the sailors, they recognized God, and they worshiped him. It says that they made sacrifices to him, and they made vows. So what does that mean? They confessed. Essentially, they, they became, that became their God. And essentially, they made a vow, they confessed. So it wasn't just like, oh, this one time. So, so in all of this, the, the, the sailors became, became into a, a relationship, into the presence of, of God. Well, Jonah, on the opposite, was continued on a downward, traje downward trajectory. Because we look back at the beginning, right? There's, Jonah keeps going further and further down. 
It said when he fleed the presence of the Lord, it said he went where? He went down to Joppa. Then when he got on the ship, he went down to the bottom of the ship. And then finally, he's going down into the sea. So essentially, Jonah is, is hitting rock bottom and fleeing the presence of the God. He's hitting rock bottom, fleeing the presence of the God. But praise God, that is not the end of the story. There's another chapter. <laughs> there's, there's three more, but it, it, from what I'm teaching, it's, it's another chapter. And so that doesn't end, the, the, the first chapter doesn't end. Even though he was as good as dead, the sailors probably just thought, oh, well, he's dead, right? There's another chapter. And so this is when finally Jonah prays. After all that time, he finally comes to his senses and he prays. And Jonah chapter two, um, if you read it, and, and when you read it, I encourage you guys to read this book. Um, it's very similar to a psalm. And so we know the Psalms are, um, the Psalms were uh, songs, Psalms were poems, um, very emotional. Um, David wrote a lot of them. And they were, Psalms represent the human response to God. And, and so this is, this, um, this chapter follows, this prayer um, follows a lot of the Psalms. And even there's a lot of um, language that mirrors some of the language um, in the Psalms. Um, but one of the core things is that, um, Right here, we see the mercy of God towards Jonah, the mercy of God, even how, how far away Jonah had, had, had gone and, and how, how stubborn he was and, and how deep he was in his rebellion. God showed mercy towards Jonah here that we're going to see in this chapter. And Jonah, like I said, has hit rock bottom. Like this, you're in the belly of a fish. Like you got everybody going fishing. They are nasty fish. <laughs> you gotta, that's why you got to clean the fish before you eat it, right? They are nasty. He, so he had hit, had hit um, rock bottom, and he finally prays. And once he calls out to God, God answers. And it's powerful because prayer in itself is an act of humility. You, you are saying that I am not wise enough, I am not strong enough, I don't have the capability. I have to rely, I have to pray and hope and put faith in, in, in someone else and something else, right? So prayer in itself is, uh, is an act of Humility. And so how, I was thinking about and praying about how this um, applies to us, right, and, and some lessons that we can take away from it. And, and like I said, we, I mean, a lot of times, not all the time, sometimes we might be in just the type of rebellion like Jonah, um, but a lot of times it doesn't start that way, right? It doesn't start that way. There's usually, um, you, might, you might sin, um, you might neglect God, whether it's a sin of omission or commission, whatever. Um, and what happens is, as a believer, you get convicted. Because why? We have the Spirit of God in us. And one of the things the Spirit of God does is he convicts us of sin. And that conviction, much, much like the fear of God, is meant to drive us closer to God, to, to bring us to his presence. That we sin, we fall short, the Spirit of God convicts us, and it drives us closer to God. And we go and repent, and we're restored, because God is good like that. That's the grace and mercy of God. But what happens is when we don't respond initially to that conviction, the enemy comes in and he brings condemnation. Condemnation is not from God. Condemnation is from the enemy. He's the accuser of the brethren. God said there's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus, right? And so what condemnation does is it makes you feel unworthy of God. It makes you feel unworthy to be in the presence of God. So if you, you sin, you're, you're neglecting time with God, 
you can get it right like that. Just go to him. But condemnation tells you you're not worthy. So you don't go to him. And then it becomes days. Then it becomes weeks. Then it becomes months. And then you just feel further and further away from God. And then your heart starts to harden. Your conscience becomes seared. And you become like Jonah was. But what does God say? Turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews 4. 16. Hebrews 4, 16. It says, therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence. Some scripture, some, some translations say boldness. I'll say it again. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence or boldness so that, may we, rece- that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. When you sin, when you fall short, that's the time and the need. That's when we need to run to him. That's what we need to be driven to. And he's there with open arms, right, to forgive us, to restore us. Most of us in here have kids. When your, kid, when you, when your child messes up, you want them to come to you. You want them to come to you and, and say that they did wrong, and you restore them. You love them. That's what God wants for us. We don't want our, our kid walking around feeling unworthy, moping around. No, get it right. Come to us. And so that's what God wants us to do. And Moses, I mean, and Jonah finally does this. He hit rock bottom. And so he finally comes to his senses. It doesn't have to take that. We don't have to listen to the condemnation of the enemy. The Spirit of God is convicting us. And it's meant to draw us and push us closer to God. Amen? Amen. All right. So let's go to Jonah 2. Now I'll just read through this. And this is Jonah's prayer. And again, it, it, and, and as, you, as, we, as you hear this, as you read along, just kind of think about Psalms and how, how this sounds and has a lot of familiarity with, uh, with the Psalms. And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish and said, I called out of my distress to the Lord and he answered me. I called for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice for you threw me into the deep, into the hearts, the heart of the seas and a current flowed around me. Your breakers and waves passed over me. So I said, I have, ca- I have been cast out of your sight. Nonetheless, I look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. Deep flowed around me. Seedweed was wrapped around in my head. I descended to the base of the mountains. The earth with its bars were around, were around me forever. But you have brought me up, my, you brought up my life from the pit, Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who are followers of worth, worthless idols abandon their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving which I have vowed, which, that which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up on the dry land. Praise God. Amen. Restoration, right? Amen. Restoration. God is good. And so we see one key thing there at the end. <clears throat> it says that that which I have vowed, I will pay. So that's the vow. So basically he had vowed to obey God as a prophet, right? And so this was, this was repentance. It's so when we're convicted and we, uh, and we go, to the, go to God, right, and we ask for forgiveness, there's repentance. Mm-hmm. And repentance isn't just saying you're sorry. Repentance is turning around right. and doing what you were called to do. And so that's what Jonah was vowing right there. He was saying, okay, I will go. 
to the people uh, to go to the, the, the Assyrians, people that hate and, and, uh, and obey you. Amen. Amen. And so there's a couple key points um, as I start to uh, wrap it up and close. One is um, God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those that he loves. This was uh, the storm and all this stuff was to, to discipline Jonah. But in discipline, it's not for punishment. Discipline is just to bring him back, to restore, right? It's like, um, and that's Revelation 3.19 uh, that scripture comes from. And it's like, um, you know, the example of uh, the tree and, and God's, you know, God saying that Jesus is pruning the tree. You know, we, you prune a tree so it can grow back more. So it can grow easier. You cut away anything that is hindering this growth. And so the purpose of God's discipline is to cut away anything that is hindering our growth. And so that discipline sometimes is, is not something we welcome or that we like, but it's not, you know, God's discipline isn't giving us diseases. God's discipline isn't putting us in car accidents. He doesn't need to do that to get our attention. He doesn't do that to discipline us. He's a loving father, right? We don't want that to happen to our own kids. And God is a much better father, much better parent than us, right? But it's just stuff that he sees is hindering our walk, hindering our progress, and he needs to cut it off. You know, just like if your kids, right? If your kids, if one of your, your, your kids is, is hanging out with, with, a, with some, another kid that's a bad influence and you're seeing the downward trajectory he's on, what do you do? You cut that relationship off. You're saying you're not, you can't hang out with him. You can't hang out with her anymore, right? And that will hurt your kid. That will hurt them because they have a friendship, they have a relationship, but you know that that's going to lead them towards wickedness, right? And so that's the same way our God, our God is. He's, he's cutting things off. He wants to get rid of those things that are hindering our walk or that are hindering our growth or are putting us that he sees, he foresees that we can't see, right? That are putting us on the wrong trajectory. The other thing we take from this, this chapter, this, this, this prayer, um, is that we can always call on God. He always answers. It's never too late. It's never too late. As long as you got breath, it's never too late. It's never too late. There was a thief on the cross next to Jesus taking his last breaths. And he asked him, remember me when you come into your, king here, your kingdom. And Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Even in his last breath, it's never too late. Amen. And there are... Um, Many, um, there are there are a lot of connections to Christ in this book, right? Um, you don't have to turn it. I'll just go there real quick in Luke eleven, and he also says this, I think, also in uh, Matthew. But Jesus is talking to the, the the Pharisees, and he says, "This generation is a wicked generation; demands a sign, and no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites." So will the Son of Man be to this generation? So he he, he shows connection um, to himself and Jonah, and there's different connections that we see. We know that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jesus was in the grave three days and three nights. Jonah was spit up, almost figuratively risen from the dead when he was spit up there at the end of chapter two, right on land. Jesus rose from the dead as well, right? Even in uh, when Jesus, I believe, was on the Sea of Galilee. When he was in a storm <clears throat> and the disciples were panicking, right? Where was Jesus? Sleeping at the bottom of the ship, just like Jonah was. They had to wake him up, just like they had to wake up Jonah. So there's a lot of similarities um, um, between Jonah and Jesus. But one of the biggest things is this, and this is one of the core lessons here. 
is that Jonah was a foretaste of what Jesus was trying to teach, is that he came to seek and save the lost, all people, to, bear, to break down that barrier between Jews and Gentiles, right? This was a first, the first foretaste of that. He was planting the seed in the people back in the Old Testament through Jonah that's saying that my grace, my love is not just limited to one people group. Amen. It's for everybody. Amen. It's for everybody, right? Amen. And that's the heart of God. Amen. So um, a key takeaway, I know sometimes we want to, we like to give like a couple points and everything uh, to make this uh, um, applicable to your life. Um, I got one. Seek his face. <laughs> Simple as that. Get in his presence, guys. Get in his presence. Um, like I said, we have what um, the Old Testament, many of these prophets, Jonah, these people look forward to, and that was having the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came upon them at times. Spirit of God dwells in us, Amen. dwells in us. That presence of God is in us. Now, there's times where he, you know, we that the presence is more manifest, but day to day, every day, we walk around with the presence of God in us. And so there's times where, um, you know, we need to commit to that deep time with him, you know, in prayer and worship, but the presence is with us. So anytime, any place where you are, you're on your commute, you're waiting at a doctor's office, you're waiting... All you have to do is turn your face towards him right there in that moment inside yourself and just speak to me. I have a friend who's, who had mentioned a couple years ago that how God was convicting him. He'd be in line at a store. And, you know, if we're waiting in line at a store, what do you do? You pull out your phone, you start scrolling. But he, God was telling him, spend this time with me in prayer. Just these little moments. It might just be five minutes in line. That's five minutes. You know what God can do in your life in five minutes? You know what revelation God can give you in five minutes? Like a second in God's presence just rock your world. So we just need to take these little moments. Um, and most of all, like it says in Hebrews, come boldly to the throne of grace. If, we, if you feel like you haven't been spending time with God, you haven't spent time in prayer, look, get it right. And it doesn't take, you don't have to go through hoops. You don't have to, you just start spending time with him, right? It says go boldly to the throne of grace so you can find grace in the time of need. And so grace isn't just forgiveness. Grace empowers you. Grace is what helps you to be able to, to do that, to seek his presence, to spend time in his presence, to have the discipline. That's what grace does. So that's why we go boldly to his throne. Amen? Amen. In his presence, we learn to fear him. We become more like him and our hearts align with his to do the work that he's called us to. Amen? Amen. 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 Let me pray for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Thank you, God. You're good, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. Thank you, Father God, for this word today, Lord. I pray, Father God, that everyone hears that here and, and whether they watch it later um, on different areas of media, Father God, on the podcast or on YouTube, God. May everyone here be hearers, Lord, of this word and not just, uh, be, excuse me, be doers of this word and not just hearers only, Father God. God, we will not neglect your presence, Lord. We will not flee from your presence. We will not devalue your presence, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be disciplined to spend that time with you, Lord, in your presence, in your face, Lord. That when we are convicted, Lord, that we, we would go closer to you. We'd be, we would be driven to your throne of grace, that we can go confidently and boldly because we are your children, God. 
Will we not listen to the condemnation and the lies of the enemy that we're not worthy, God? Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is always there, Lord, for us, God. And it empowers us, God, and it receives us, Lord. So we thank you for that, God. We thank you, God, that your fear, the true reverential fear, would be in us, in our lives, Lord, in our homes, God. And that your presence is always with us, Lord. Amen. And while everybody's head is bowed and eyes closed, I just want to give people the opportunity who um, may have not made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, um, or maybe that you have been backslidden. Um, so whether you're in here or you're, you're listening to my voice uh, somewhere, um, just repeat after me and say this prayer. Say, dear God, I come to you and I confess that I am a sinner. I need you, Lord, as a savior. So come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my savior. Restore me to you so that I may know that I'm your child and I will be with you forever. Amen. So if anybody here has prayed that for the first time, or if anybody not, if anybody has um, that's watching us today, we welcome you to the family of God. Praise God. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, whether you're coming to God for the first time or uh, you're rededicating your life, we encourage you to check out the information on the screen. Contact us. Let us know. And uh, we love to, to, to pray with you, get to know you, um, and, and continue to uh, be a blessing in your life. That concludes this week's message, and thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200 or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 1854, Perth Amboy, New Jersey 08862. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email. The address is partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to his word. Until next time, God bless you.